Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're continuing kind of our little Christmas series through Luke 1. We're going to be looking at Mary's song today. We'll be in Luke 1, 39 to 56. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, thank you for the opportunity just to, to gather together as your people and to celebrate the incarnation, the fact that you have moved towards us. You haven't remained apathetic towards us. You haven't been hostile towards us. You've moved towards us with this mission of redeeming us. It's a great demonstration of your love as well as your holiness paired together. And Lord, we are here just as your humble servants. Like Mary, there's a, we recognize a humbleness to our state. There's something special about us. The specialness is about you. And so I pray, Father, that we would see you in your glory. I pray that we would get a glimpse of you in the way that Mary saw you today. She saw you as glorious. She saw you as true and good. And I pray that we would see you the same way. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and, and do the work that only he can do, which is giving us eyes to see, to convicting us, to encouraging us, giving us faith. Do the work that needs to be done in our hearts today to help us really see your word. To that end, Father, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Amen. Well, some people walk around singing. Like some people have those personalities where they just have a rosier outlook on life, right? Like some people, by nature, walk around whistling. Uh, if you know my son Mason, you know he's a theater kid, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about theater kids, all right? There's, theater's a new world for me, okay? I was a, a tone-deaf athlete. Um, I'm still tone-deaf. I'm not an athlete anymore, clearly. Uh, but the theater kid is just fun, right? We've got some theater kids in here. You guys are just fun. There's something special about the theater kid, okay? Um, and, and theater kids... When they, they're just probably the best way to describe a theater kid is you're just a party in a box, all right? Now, it would probably not surprise any of you to know that Dave Trosco, our own Dave Trosco, is a theater kid because Dave is just a party in a box, okay? That's the theater kid, all right? They're just fun. And one of my favorite things about the theater kid is that so many of them just walk around humming and singing show tunes. Like, this has happened multiple times. I'll be at the theater volunteering. I'm doing what normal people do when they walk down the hallway, which is not doing, not saying anything. Like I'm thinking about God or something. I don't know. I'm not talking. <laughs> Nothing's coming out of my mouth. I'm walking out. And then a theater kid comes up behind me, and it's like Beauty and the Beast going on behind me. And I'm like, and they're just, they're just walking down. They can't walk down the hallway without singing or humming or whistling. That's the theater kid. And I really noticed this the first time that we were, we were driving a group of theater kids to an event, okay? And there was this rare lull in the conversation. And the next thing I heard, I was like, I think that's, I think that's Lion King going on. And I look back, and, and there's a sweet girl. And in her moment of pause, she's looking out the window, smiling sweetly, bobbing her head back and forth, and just humming Lion King, okay? That's just what she does. She just walks around singing, okay? That's kind of how I envision Mary. Mary was one of these people that just walked around singing. One of these lovely people that she probably whistled as she worked. She lived on the sunny side of life. She was grateful for the little things. 
She was probably one of those glass half full type of people. She trusted God in all things and she walked around singing. And listen, I have something to learn from this passage because I don't hum, I brood. (laughs) Are you that way? Like I get hung up on things in the past that cause me to be unhappy in the present or I get hung up on worrying about things in the future that again cause me to lose my joy in the present. And Mary was so present. She had this ability to joy in the things of that moment. You see, she wasn't worried about the future. She wasn't uh, hung up by the hurts on the past. She, she was uh, not self-absorbed about all these things that happened to her or, or just displayed like this lack of mature faith about the things of the future. She knew God. She knew His Word. She knew His promises. And she was watching them be fulfilled. And as a result, she was just able to sing her joy to the Lord. She had a joy that to me is very, very infectious. In fact, as I think about all the characters in the Bible, Mary is maybe my favorite. There's just a joy that she possesses that I just want that type of joy. Now listen, as you look at this section, there's kind of two main breaks in this passage. The first one before the song is I just want you to see that joy is found in God's presence. And then when we get to Mary's song, there's this call to magnify the Lord. And we'll camp out on that word and then kind of how she breaks apart her song. But let's start in verse 39 to 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. To a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is, and why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is, is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now listen, just by way of review, if you're new with us, we've been looking at, at Luke 1, and here's what has happened so far. It, it opens with this look of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Zechariah is a priest, and when he goes into the temple, an angel appears And even though they're advanced in years, is what God's word says, and his wife is barren, that the angel promises that they're going to have a child. And he tells them that they should name the child John. Now, there's a moment of doubt, doubt in God's word that Zechariah has. And there's this, there's this beautiful theme of God's word that kind of weaves its way through. And so here God appears and he communicates his word uh, to Zechariah. Zechariah doesn't believe his word. And then what happens? His words are taken away. And then when Zechariah again believes God's word and he says, no, name the child John, his words are restored. We saw in that passage to bless God for the blessing of his word. And you know as you go forward, and even this is prophesied about John, that he was to proclaim God's word about Christ. He was to clear the way for Jesus. And that's exactly what John does. So even though John and Jesus are connected as cousins, They're also connected via God's Word. There's this Word connection that happens. They both have a a Word ministry. Now, when Mary arrives, of course, carrying the Messiah, the unborn John leaps for joy. Elizabeth, also filled with the Spirit, she shouts for joy. 
And, and this is this great mini moment that we're going to see over and over throughout the scriptures where when Jesus is present, joy is experienced. Whenever Jesus is there, joy is also there. The incarnation then leads to happy hearts. Being with Christ is where joy is found. This is the first little indication that's going to set up Mary's song. Now, every baby is a blessing, but this baby is a unique blessing because he's the culmination of all these promises from God's Word about this one who is to come. This baby had this specific mission, and his mission was to heal our deepest disease. He was to fix our greatest problem. He was to save us from our sins. So this baby was bringing joy, not just to his mom and dad, but to the entire world. And as a result of his presence, joy is experienced. And this baby leads to souls worshiping. That's the result of him showing up. And that's what sets up Mary's song. So the first charge here is to magnify him. Let's just take a second and look at verse 46. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord. The, the Latin term for magnifies is magnificant. So this is Mary's magnificant is what it's traditionally referred to. And this is this song of praise that she gives. Now, if you know the Psalms, there's, there's kind of a specific structure to the Psalms. There's, they parallel things, but certain Psalms have, are in certain categories to accomplish certain things. This is a psalm of praise. That, that's what it's categorized as. Now, that, that notes that Mary understands the book of Psalms. She understands how to arrange a song, and she does it according to God's Word. And specifically, what she's trying to communicate here is a song of praise. She's praising God for something. And the word that she chooses is a wonderful word. Uh, a wonderful word. It's magnifies. She wants to make something big. She wants to extol something. She wants to acknowledge something as great. She wants to enlarge something. She wants her hearers to hear the truths of this song and see the object of this praise is magnificent. This is a glorious God. This is a glorious thing that she wants to see. Now, the instrument of her magnifying is her own soul. This is the instrument that magnifies God is her, her soul, her deep, true self is what is singing. Her heart is happy. Her heart deep down, her authentic self, her true self, that's where this worship is coming from. So this song is not phony in any way. It's coming from her heart. This is not performance for her. This is what she sings when nobody's around. This is true to who she is. And she's singing from all of her being, from her soul, she magnifies him. And related, because it comes from her soul, this is a demonstration of her joy. She could sing anything that she wants in those quiet moments, but this is what she chooses to sing. The reason being, this comes from her soul, her heart. This is her place of joy. This is where she wants to go when she's truly free. When she could sing about anything, talk about anything. This is where she goes. Her soul magnifies. And what's the object of her magnification? It's Him. God is the object of her joy. Like when she ponders the greatness of God, it brings her joy. God is the one that is great. God is the one who is to be extolled. She's just a humble servant. She's humble before Him. Mary never wanted to extol herself. She, she, she doesn't want people to worship her or pray to her. She wants to magnify him. She wants to make him great. He's the, the object of her affections. In, in her eyes, 
She's just an insignificant teenager in an insignificant village. She's nobody. He's everything. Guys, before we move on, what's great in your eyes? Now, now listen, it's okay to have a lot of things that are great in your eyes. It's okay to enjoy and even joy in all sorts of good things in this life. Personally, I joy in our church. I joy in our family. I I joy in silly things like a good story or a funny comedian or my team winning. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But ultimately, compared to all those good things, what is it that you magnify above everything else? In other words, does he bring your heart more happiness than your girlfriend? What about is your soul more satisfied in your professional accomplishments or in him? You see, Mary's song calls us to humble ourselves before God, to, to believe our great joy comes through being in his presence and as a result, magnifying him. Now, functionally here, you could ask why. Well, why? Why should we magnify him? And then Mary would say, well, let me give you this you know, list of you know, six, eight, ten things here. And, and that's a way that you could read this. There, there's a logical flow to this. Magnify him, and then she gives this list of reasons why. Now, that's where she's going. And she's going to say, well, we need to magnify him for what he's done for you and magnify him for what he's done for everyone else. That's the structure of her song, okay? But, but this, is, this is not a thesis. This is a song. So it's not like a case or an argument that she's making. Now, now you can get that from here. There's a listing of things, and we're going to go through this list. But, but don't take it out of the category of a song. This is a song. This is not a thesis. So the first thing we see here is the word to magnify for what he's done for you. Look again at 46 down to 49. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty and has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She begins her song in a very personal way. She she begins by magnifying God for what he's done for her. She, She looks at her own life and sees how God has done these magnificent things. Number one, her her deep spirit finds reason to rejoice based upon God being her Savior. That's where she starts. Listen, God's her baby, but God's also her Savior. And and this is consistent with all these prophecies that Mary knows. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So, So Mary can sing... Because she knows this baby is going to save her from her sins. The second reason why she sings is it's related to the first of saving her. But, but first, uh, he, he looks graciously upon her humble state. She's a humble servant is how she views herself. Now, now Mary clearly understand, uh, understood both her need and her place. She understood that, that she had a need. And that's, and that's very different from our culture, isn't it? We don't always understand our need of a Savior. We don't always understand our, our, our place. Like we're, we're quick to say, okay, I have all these beliefs, I have these political beliefs, I have these understandings that I got from psychology, I have all this and that, and I'm going to put God in this box. So I, He's going to serve me, He's going to be in this box, rather than holding up God and then evaluating everything else around Him. That's a more 
humble understanding of God, right? That's what Mary does here. She understands that she is his humble servant. She has a need, and she doesn't deserve anything from him. And the fact that he would save her, that's, that's a product of his grace and not her righteousness. And further, she didn't believe that, uh, that, that he was to serve her, but that she was to serve him. She was the doula. She was the handmaiden. She was the servant, not God. She was to serve God. You see, you're on a path to salvation if your posture towards God is as of a humble servant. And, and let me add this. You're on a pathway to song and joy if your posture towards God is one of a humble servant. Now, if you want Him to serve you and help you accomplish all the things that you want and fit in the box you've created for Him, and, and He's to serve you, friend, you're not on the path to salvation and you're not on the way to joy. You're not on the pathway to song. Number three, the specific good thing that he did for her was that he was to bless her as the mother of the Messiah. Now, she was right. She said, all generations are going to consider me blessed. She was exactly right. You see, he blessed her in this special way. She, she is caught up in something, isn't she? Mary, this insignificant Young woman, this teenage girl, she's caught up in something really glorious. She, she's the recipient of this. She's blessed by this. And, and listen, her praise as a result gets very, very personal. You see, she teaches us to find joy in what God has personally done for us. To, to pause and reflect on, okay, how has he blessed me? And praise him for that. To not rush past the way that he has personally blessed us. So fourth, in summary, God has done great things for Mary, and those great things were a demonstration of his holiness. Now hang with me on this point. Mary doesn't make a separation between God's love and grace and his holiness. Those things are wrapped up together for her. The fact that this magnificent God would bless this humble servant, that was an example of greatness in her eyes. That's why she's praising him. And not only was the most magnificent, glorious, greatest of all beings, not only was he himself great, but he was so great that he would love his most humble of servants. You see, Mary doesn't do something that we tend to do. In our culture, we tend to lower God's holiness in order to slip under it. Mary holds God's holiness high and doesn't say she's up at that level. She says, he pulls me up to this level He's great. He's holy. He's pulled me up to this level. Isn't he even greater? That's where she goes with it. She, she doesn't diminish his holiness in any way. There's an interesting comparison about the kind of a Western view of the world versus like a Middle Eastern view of the world. And missionaries see this when they function in different parts of the world. But if you're in the West, if you're in America, or if you're in Europe, there, there's a tendency for us to really elevate the love of God. And really kind of whisper about the holiness of God. But if you're a missionary in the Middle East, well, you are clear about the holy righteousness of God. And maybe you whisper about the love of God. Listen, that tells us something less about God and, and more about our own cultures, right? And us as people and the things that we're in. Mary doesn't do that. She esteems his holiness. And she esteems his love and in his grace. Let me chase one more rabbit on this point. Many times in, in the secular counseling office, salvation is found through saying there's no sin. 
This thing that you're struggling with, maybe you did, or maybe somebody did to you. Let's, let's wipe away this idea of sin. Let's live in the world of moral relativity, and then let's try to find salvation and healing through that. Listen, that doesn't work in economics. That doesn't work in friendships. That doesn't work in any other category. It, and it doesn't work there. What Mary's doing here is she's not diminishing sin. She's not diminishing evil. She's saying it's real and God is holy. We break upon Him, not the other way around. She doesn't diminish His holiness. Rather, she looks at His holiness and she says He is great. And He's even greater because He brings us into salvation as a result of that. He's holy, never lowers it. But out of His love, He reaches down and pulls us up too. This is a great God that she's worshiping. This is profound, deep theology that this young woman has. Like Mary, do you have outbursts of praise for the ways that God has blessed you? I think a, a reading of this is this is a, a knee-jerk, instinctive outburst of praise. This is in her. Friends, do you slow down enough to understand and reflect upon all the ways that God has blessed you? Do, do you place yourself or do you place God at the center of your spirituality? Like, are you self-absorbed with you and all the things going on with you? Or do you take your eyes up to Him and see Him in all His glory? Is your heart stirred as you worship Him? And are you transformed by the gospel? And then understand all that transformation and go back to it in your mind to see Him in all His glory. Christmas is this interesting, I'll call it interesting. It's an interesting season where we spend a lot of time with family, isn't it? It's interesting because the older you get, you realize, listen, as many Christians have families who aren't believers, or maybe they are believers, but they're not really living it. Or maybe you have some sort of like pain from your family, and they're going to be stuck in a house with them you know, for three days. So many times, Christmas can be difficult to be around some of these difficult family members. It can bring back all this pain. But, but in that pain... Do you pause and reflect upon the blessings that he's given you? Listen, maybe that cousin, maybe that uncle, maybe they're living in this unfaithful way. It's causing pain in their life. Maybe it's causing pain on you. But God, by his grace, has led you down a different path. And you're experiencing the blessing of that. Do you pause and reflect upon that blessing? Or is it focused on, oh my goodness, what's going on over here? Or is it glorying? and the magnificence of God's grace that He's given you in your life. The second thing that Mary wants us to see is that we're to magnify Him for what He's done for everyone. Look at verse 50 to 56. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with His arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Six things I want you to see here. Number one, this greatness that she begins to talk about in verse 49, it, it then transitions to not only grace and mercy for Mary herself, but grace and mercy for all of God's people in every generation. 
You see, people, even before the time of Christ, are saved by having faith in or, or fearing in God, and then God shows them mercy. Now, fearing in the Lord and faith, those are not separate categories biblically. Those are, that's lumped into the same category. Having faith in God, believing in God, that's equated with fearing the Lord. So what Mary is saying here is over the generations, when individuals feared the Lord or had faith in Him, they were shown mercy. Do you see that pattern all throughout the Bible? Let me give you one quick example. Exodus 34. The people had sinned against God, but then God remained faithful to His covenant promises of mercy. Uh, Verses uh, 6 and 7 say this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Mary knew that passage. You see, we're to praise God and find joy in God because He does not give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us justice. He gives us mercy. This humble servant understood that she deserved justice, but God had given her mercy, just like He had given His people over and over, generation after generation. This is His hesed love that we sing about in the Psalms. This is this steadfast covenant love He's made a promise to us. See, being an object of mercy, that's what makes you one of God's people. By definition, that's how you become uh, one of God's people, is you're one who He has shown mercy to. Like Mary, we praise God because mercy is the foundation we build our entire house upon. Number two is strength. Mary magnifies God for the strength that He has shown in both preserving His people as well as scattering the proud. You remember as God's people come into the promised land, Joshua 1.5, we read, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And that's exactly what God did. He upheld His people. He dwelled with His people. He upheld them. He preserved them. And then they stepped into the promised land and He scattered all of His enemies. This is God's pattern that we see over and over again. After God's promise to Joshua, He scattered the people of Palestine. He gave His people the promised land. And like Mary, we're to praise God because He preserves us through His strength and He also scatters our enemies through His strength. Number three, this is another paradoxical thing that she praises God for, which is what He exalts. You see, not only has he strengthened his people and scattered the proud, he's also brought down the mighty and exalted the humble. This is his pattern over and over and over again. Like you can just kind of throw a dart at these stories and find it, right? Like 2 Kings, 8, or 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah, surrounded by the Assyrians. They're going to take the city. They pray. They cry out to God. God shows up. And then the Assyrians are gone. He brings them victory. You see, in the eyes of the world, the, the strong, they're the ones who succeed. But, but not in God's economy. God does something different. He, he, through His might, He exalts the humble and He brings down the mighty. Friends, every generation has hyperventilating headlines, right? The Assyrians. Oh my goodness, where's our culture going? Every generation has these hyperventilating headlines. Now listen, you're not a fool if, if in 2 Kings 19, you're panicked about the Assyrians, okay? You're not a fool if you're worried about certain things that are going on around us, okay? But every generation 
has these headlines. And if our hope is in the headlines, we're always going to be discouraged. That's how our hope is. Our hope is in this God who, who uh, uh, elevates the humble and brings down the mighty. That's why, like Mary, we sing praises to God because we know that it's through Him that the meek will inherit the earth, right? Matthew 5. Let me give you a fourth one. Mary magnifies God for filling the hungry and draining the rich. She touches on these really glorious little paradoxical things about God. You see, the world operates differently, right? Like that's not how the world works. The world doesn't fill the hungry and drain the rich. It's the rich who have it all. They're the ones who are filled. It's the poor that are drained, right? But not in God's economy. Like Mary was experiencing something different with God. She had nothing. Let's not pretend here. She was a very poor person. She had nothing. Her town had nothing. Her family had nothing. But yet she had everything. Her soul was satisfied in ways that the richest people of her day would never understand. Like, like she understood God's word. She understood Amos 4. Remember that great image of the oppressive cows of Bashan from Amos 4? She knew a passage like that. She knew how the world worked, but she knew that God would bring them down. Like Mary, we sing praise to God because we know that through Him, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. Amen? Amen. Let me give you two more. Mary magnifies God for helping His people by remembering His covenant promises of mercy. He helps. He helps Israel. He's faithful to always help Israel. Now, Israel's a t- tricky term, isn't it? Like there's layers of meaning there, right? Listen, let's, let's be really clear about one point regarding Israel. If you believe in Abraham, and more importantly, in Abraham's Messiah, Jesus, you are more Israel than an unbelieving, ethnically Jewish person living in the nation of Israel today. She's talking about you not what is happening in the Middle East. She's talking about God's people. The church is God's people. She, she, th- th- this, this verse is for us here. She's saying that God helps us, God's people, the church. Mary knew that God was committed to help His people. She, she knew a promise like Exodus 6-7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You see, God is always this helping hand lifting you up. He's always been that for His people. And He's still that for His people. He's made a covenant promise, a commitment to be a helping hand to you. So like Mary, we sing praise to God because we know He has promised to help us and to give us mercy. Mary gives us one more thing to praise Him for. Mary magnifies God for communicating to his people. You see, he spoke the world into existence. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He he made this covenant promise to Abraham. And he's been communicating through his word to his people ever since. And she praises God for it. She knew God's word. He, He had not only spoken to Mary through the Bible, but he had spoken through an angel And she was this front row witness of all these things that were evident in God's Word, all these promises that were made, all these prophecies that were made, and she's seen them be fulfilled. 
And she praises God for His Word because she knows His Word is true. Not a truth or her truth or His truth. It was true. And she knew it was good as a result of it. She's watching it. She's watching it all unfold. And she knows that it is true and it is good and that it comes from Him and she sings a song about it. She praises God for His Word. Like Mary, we sing praise to God because He has spoken to us through His Word and it is true and it is good. Friends, Mary's no silly, shallow, self-absorbed little girl, is she? There's some depth here, right? Like there's some rich theology. There's some mature understanding of who God is and who His Word is, what His Word is all about. She's connecting very profound thoughts. And she's putting it into a song. There's something really beautiful here. There's something very profound, very theological here. She has an understanding of God that is deep. But, but it's not just academic, it's beautiful. This is a song. She puts all these truths, all these theological ideas, and then she passionately sings them. Isn't this marvelous? Mary models for us theological and heartfelt praise, doesn't she? I pray I'm that as a person. I pray we're that as a church. And never forget, she's probably 14, maybe 15. This is a, this is a teenage young lady. And she has this deep, beautiful, profound understanding of who God is from His Word. Listen, if you're a teenager in here, Listen, maybe the culture says, you know, there's a long runway for you or whatever. Like, but listen, God's calling you to walk with Him now. Amen. There are truths for you now. And listen, this isn't about heavy-handed, know your Bible, memorize your Bible, or this and that. It begins there. But listen, we hammer that because I want you to have that type of joy. Teenager, can you sing the gospel? Or is this just something you rush past? Is this some little box you do? When, I'm, when I have kids, I'll wrestle with this. Friend, she is a teenager. She knows God. She knows His Word. And she finds joy here. No, no boyfriend, no, no game, no accomplishment is ever going to fulfill. This is where joy is found. Mary's found it as a teenager. Is there a pattern in your life of magnifying the Lord? Friend, if not, confess whatever is getting in the way of that. Listen, you're going to magnify something, okay? We're human beings. We're idol factories. We're worshiping beings. We find something to worship, something to find glorious. Whatever is more glorious, whatever you're magnifying above Him, Confess it to Him and believe again, praise again. Turn your heart to the glorious things of God. Today, right now, what can you magnify God regarding what He has done for you? What's He done for you? I promise you, it's something. And if you don't think He's done anything for you, then there's a shallowness about your spirituality. You're rushing past this, okay? I challenge you today that whoever you're having lunch with today, share with them what God has done for you. Friend, this sweet teenage girl 
She writes a song for the entire world forever to know what God has done for her. What has God done for you? And are you telling people about it? Today, what can you magnify God regarding what he has done for all of his people? In other words, do his covenant promises, do they satisfy your soul? Like you reflect upon the gospel and it just moves you to sing. Is the gospel good news to you? Is God enough for you? Or do you need to scratch this itch and accomplish this thing over here and hit this dollar amount and do this and that? Is your ambition getting in the way of God being enough for you? Does His mercy and His strength and His might and His filling and His help and His word cause you to magnify Him and praise? Remember the old Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? I think she knew. Are you with me? I think she knew. Now listen, there's a lot of things she didn't know. There's a lot of things that we think are really important and she didn't know. She didn't know October 27th, 3 a.m., he is going to walk on water. She didn't know that, okay? She didn't know the day he was going to die. There were a lot of things she did not know. Things that, again, we probably think are really important, when in reality they're not. But what she did know, she knew the important stuff, okay? Mary knew God. She knew his word, therefore she knew about his mercy and his strength and his might. And she let those things fill her soul. She knew that he would always help her. Friends, Mary knew that this baby inside of her was the Messiah, which meant she knew his mission. She knew what he was sent to do. She knew better than anyone that he was fully God and that he was fully man. She knew that he was going to suffer. And she knew also that he would keep his covenant promises. She knew that he would victoriously save his people from their sins, including her. Friends, Mary knew that she was favored, even though she didn't deserve it. She knew that she was blessed, not because of anything that she had done. She knew that God had given her mercy when he could have given her justice. And she knew that he satisfied her soul. And that when she magnified his name, it made her heart happy. Happier than anything else that this world could offer her. This Christmas, set aside the hurt from the past. This Christmas, set aside the fears of the future. And set your thoughts and your heart upon Mary's magnificent God. Magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are a magnificent being. There's nothing like you. Lord, may we never be a people that toys with insignificant things, that loves and magnifies the lesser things. May we be a a people that, like Mary, understands and then joys in the glorious things of God. This sweet teenage young lady, she found something. She got caught up in something that was so glorious that she just had to sing about it. She just had to think about it when, she, when, when nothing else was going on around. When she, when she was free to think about anything that she wanted, she went to you. May we be that type of people. Lord, may we see you in all your magnificence. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.